So I want to continue talking to you about the concept of uh, transformation and demonization. The process is, of course, of God work. They're anointed. Say they work. But we have to understand we don't do this in a vacuum or somehow in a little magical bubble where nothing's coming against our minds, coming against our hearts, our families, our marriages, whatever. Uh, we do this in a, in a warfare footing or warfare mentality or mode. And so you have to have a real seriousness about you in your Christian life because, you know, demon activity is not decreasing in this nation. It's increasing. What's disheartening is the targeting of our children. But we're not uh, talking about just children being affected by this. We're talking about adults, and the reason this is important, and I'm not even talking about the world being demonized or worldly people being demonized. I'm talking about what Paul was talking about, church people. Christians who deep down love God but are becoming demonized because of the doors that have been opened up in their lives. 1 Timothy 4 Verse 1, now the Spirit speaks expressly that in latter times some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. Now this tells us several things. First of all, the Spirit of God is saying this. It's not man saying this. The target is it's going to happen more and more in the end times. Look at your neighbor and tell him we're in the end times. He's saying that some shall depart from the faith. So if that doesn't square with your theology, then put yourself on the Word of God instead of your theology. Some shall depart from the faith. Why? They give heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. Now let me remind you that seducing spirits are spirits that gradually draw us away from right conduct and right believing. We used to believe right and we used to act right. Say it, believe right, believe right. and act right. And now all of a sudden, because of this seduction, you know, slowly we turn to begin to believe the wrong things and then do the wrong things in life. And the Krishna says, well, it can't happen to me. Well, you're setting yourself up for a fall. When you stand, the Bible says, take heed, least you fall. So pride is not going to get you there. Humility is actually going to get you there. Being aware of what that is. And the doctrine of devil is a demon-inspired teaching that's coming from some platform. And since Paul is talking to a Christian leader, Timothy, about Christians, we know that some of that platform has to do with people in so-called ministry platforms around the world, or media ministries, or books, or publishing, or whatever the case may be. So the combination of the seduction and the doctrines of devils that, that are coming through platforms, through so-called Christian ministers or ministries, are, are really doing the devil's bid to demonize the people of God. How many are smart enough to know that God doesn't want us demonized? Amen. We shouldn't be lured away by seducing spirits. We should be led by the Spirit of God. Amen? We shouldn't be subject to doctrines of devils. We should be hearing the Word of God spoken in love. Amen? Amen. And not compromised. Say it with me. The uncompromised Word shared in love. And second time, oh, actually I just wanted to give you the scripture and we'll go back to it in a minute. But 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 24, And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but must be kind to everyone, able to teach, not resentful. Opponents must be gently instructed in the hope that God will grant them repentance, leading them to a knowledge of the truth. And they will come to their senses and escape from the trap of the devil who has taken them captive to do his will. Again, we're talking about not somebody out there in the world that's been possessed by the devil. We're not talking about the gathering. We're not talking about Judas. We're talking about Christians who may have even started out right, but now they're being demonized to not do God's will, but to do the will of the evil one. And so in fact, the scripture says they're trapped. And when it says coming to their senses, it's really interesting construction in the Greek. It literally means that they will become unintoxicated again. How many of that's a good thing? Yeah. Paul's saying don't give up on them. Let's get them unintoxicated. What's the application here? They're intoxicated by the efforts of the enemy and oftentimes because of the doors that we have opened up in our lives. Now, um, just go ahead and, and look at your neighbor and say this with all the loving kindness you can. Tell them, Pastor Art will not be very politically correct today. Oh, yeah. <laughs> now say this. Also, also. Pastor Art will not be religiously correct today. So I'll tell you what, just go ahead and get all your offense out now. (laughs) 
when we talk about the activity of the devil and how the Spirit of God has shown me through the years how this works, there is uh, you know, an enticement or a temptation that every Christian is subjected to. Jesus was subjected to temptation. And how many know he was tempted like we are, yet he never sinned in that temptation? It never worked on him. You know, how many can raise your hand and say it has worked on you a time or two? <laughs> how many are you glad for repentance and fresh starts? <laughs> Amen, I am too. Well, we know that that's, that's enticement to sin. We know that that's agitation of the enemy. We know it's hostility and opposition. But then a little deeper is what we call oppression, which is a sustained and constant pressure of the enemy to push you off the Word of God, to push you out of the will of God. We know Jesus in the garden yielded to His Father's will, but how many understand that wasn't the other only voice in that garden that day? And you and I have a, a desire to do God's will, but the enemy wants to pressure or push us through life circumstances and events and disappointments and betrayals, all kinds of things, all kinds of things off of the will of God. We do know there is a thing called demon possession. It's where that, uh, that vessel is literally occupied and the full dominion and control of the enemy is exercised over that person. The good news is there's a remedy for that and his name is Jesus. So whether it's in the United States or some third world country or across the street from you, somebody is demon possessed. The Lord knows how to deal with them. And you have the authority to cast that thing out in Jesus name. Um, I don't uh, I don't run into a lot of, you know, issues with that. Every once in a while I will see that I will manifest something will happen and you need to be prepared to know who you are. You're not some weak worm of the dust. You're a child of God. And if you do run across this, then sometimes you will. In fact, not that's out there when you're traveling, but in your own country, you're going to see these people have given themselves over to the enemy and they're fully controlled and dominated by the evil one. Um, I remember when I was uh, working uh, for my mom in a preschool program in aquatics, uh, she had hired a, a young lady who was in part of the CEDAR program and um, uh, Carter's program to place people for training so they can learn skills and then go out and make a living for themselves. And she was a nice enough kid, you know, but she had a severe drug problem and she was living an alternative lifestyle. And despite all of that, you know, I didn't mind befriending her. And I'm telling you this, you should befriend people no matter where they are you know, and try to reach out to them and love on them. But one boy, one time she came to mom's house threatening her and just, you know, up a storm. She was completely and totally out of her mind, a severely demonized person to the point it did seem like she was demon possessed, in fact. And uh, all I remember one time is she kind of lunged at my mom. And I remember the demon pushing this, this lady. This is a girl that weighed about 225 pounds. Two of my mom easily. And all I remember her is just pinned against the wall like this. She couldn't move a muscle. Don't mess with my mother. <laughs> uh, it's real. But greater is he. I said greater is he. It is in you than he that is in the world. So temptation, that's common to every believer. Oppression, it happens. How many have been through seasons where you know the pressure was on higher than it's ever been in your life? The devil trying to push you out of obedience, push you out of the will of God, push you off of doing what God called you to do. It's real. But another real, you know, kind of an attack of the enemy is a thing called demonization. And that is the devil's goal, that you would come under his influence, his deception, and his direction. Say that with me. His influence, his deception, and his direction. Say it again. His influence, his deception, and his direction. You and I are supposed to be led by the Holy Ghost. You and I are not supposed to walk around in deception. We're supposed to be walking around with our eyes wide open and the truth. But this is very real. But I want you to say, you know, understand this today. This isn't happening to Christians by accident. <coughs> no Christian is ever demonized without their cooperation. Ever. And so what's important is to understand not every door, because there are a lot of them, but some of the major doors that Christians today are allowing this influence. And I'm not saying just because you may do some of this stuff or from time to time battle this kind of stuff, that you're automatically going to be completely demonized and you're going to be completely under his influence. I'm not saying that, but you are taking a chance. You get fall down drunk today and get in the car. I'm not saying you're going to hit somebody and kill them, but your likelihood goes way up of hurting yourself or somebody else, ruining your life and ruining somebody else's life. Do you get the picture here? 
Now, the day we're living in, the possibility of you being demonized by exposing yourself this way is higher than it's ever been. Devil knows this time is short. And you and I should not be wasting our time becoming demonized when he has a call in every person's life in this building. He has something for you to do. It's impossible to do that when you're under the, what, the deception and influence and direction of the evil one. You're no longer even doing what you're supposed to do. You're not doing what God wants you to do. You're doing what the evil one wants you to do. And you can be completely oblivious to this reality. I'll tell you this day, you don't have to stay that way. And before I get into these today, I'm telling you this, you can walk out of here and denounce these things and be free in Jesus' name to pursue the Lord with all of your heart. Amen. How do you want to do that? 1 Peter chapter 5, uh, looking at verse 6. This is from the King James. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Turn to your neighbor and say, he's an opportunist. So guess what? Some Christians are easier devour than others. Well, how do you know he's talking about Christians? Well, first of all, it's Peter talking. He knows a little bit about being demonized. Are you here? He's talking to the church. His epistles, those short, are powerful, and he's talking to us. Be sober means to be watchful and mentally calm. Not distressed, not uptight, not running around with your head cut off. Be vigilant means to be alert and awake. Confess that right now. I am alert, I am alert. and I am awake. Adversary means your opponent as in a lawsuit in a, in a courtroom. How many of the devil is one mouthy person? You know why I encourage Christians not to be mouthy, gossip, slanders? Because that's not the way their Lord is. That's the way the devil is. The devil is mouthy. Look at somebody say, the devil's mouthy. The devil's mouthy. You, shouldn't be. you shouldn't be. The devil, which means the accuser or slanderer, he walks about like a roaring lion. This implies the howl of a wild beast in fierce hunger. The howl of a wild beast who's in fierce hunger. Can you sense the devil is hungry to take as many people down as he possibly can? Yes. Say this with me in Jesus' name. Jesus. I will stand and not fall. With Jesus' help, I will stand and not be overcome. You're not going to be his next dish. You can throw Daniel in the lion's den, but when there's an anointing on you, the lions go to sleep. They choose to wait and devour somebody else. Amen. There are a lot of things that open the door to demonization. Little by little, what happens is as you partake of these things, it's like toxins building in your system. And eventually, when the toxin reaches a certain level, if it's some kind of uh, you know, depressant, it will take you out. You'll, you'll fall asleep and possibly your respiratory system will just stop and you'll die. Or it will actually poison you. Say it, maybe little by little. That's why when people begin to act in an uncharacteristic manner or they cut off relationships so they lose vital interests that God gave them, they become master rationalizers or master manipulators, gaslighters. They now intimidate people. They walk as an accuser. Why wouldn't they walk as an accuser when that's the one they're following is the accuser? Unexplained things and, and serious emotional battles. Just there's no real you know, chemical or physiological reason or even life reason to be depressed. Sometimes people come under this cloud and there's no reason to, to even understand why they're walking this life. Well, demonization sometimes manifests the same way. What I call these things are vulnerable, vulnerabilities. They actually make you vulnerable to demonization. Obviously, how many agree that sin in general is going to make you vulnerable <laughs> to demonization? And we should understand that. That is the on-purpose, direct, willful disregard for what his word says. And sometimes, <laughs> sometimes Christians do willfully sin. Let's should try that one more time because sometimes... 
Raise your hand if sometimes you can agree with that. <laughs> uh, the devil did not make you do it in that case. Obviously, sin in, in general. Obviously, the inputs that we're exposed to through our senses can predispose us towards demonization. But I want to zero in and get a little bit more specific than that and encourage you in the process uh, Guard your heart in this time more than you ever have before. Amen. Guard your heart, for the Bible says, out of the heart flow the issues or the forces of life. That means you've got to watch what's coming in your ears, watch what's coming in your eyes, watch what you're saying. Amen. Make sure your mouth lines up with the Word of God. And realize that uh, if, if what Rodney said today is true, and I believe it, the demonization has a strong seed time and harvest component. Are you here? Are you tracking with me today? Yes. So when you look at somebody and all of a sudden it's, it's uncharacteristic behavior. You know, why did they flip out like that? It didn't happen overnight. No one flipped a switch. This has been going on for some time. And it's just now starting to manifest as the devil having influence and deceptive ability over their lives. I don't know why everybody started calling uh, people on social media influencers. But everybody's an influencer these days, which is completely watered down the term. What we ought to be influenced by is the Word of God, amen, the Spirit of God, amen, godly people, brothers and sisters who are walking the right path. That's how we should you know, have influence. But today, everybody's an influencer. But to come out of the influence of the enemy... Um, these are the big ones to, to watch out for. So um, I'm not here to step on anybody's theology. At the end of the day, uh, people are going to do what they're going to do. I'm just telling you what I have learned and come to, to find out is fact over decades of spiritual leadership. And so say it with me, no condemnation. No Do you know uh, if we come under conviction by anything that we can repent? But if you're going to repent, you're going to have to make up your, your mind right now not to get mad first. I'm not here to hurt anybody. I mean, I can tell you stories as long as my arms are back up again. I got some long arms. <laughs> my grandbaby, Andrea, apparently has long arms, too. <laughs> she called them swimmer's arms, right? That's kind of funny when you think about it, isn't it? Yeah. Who knows? You might have a champion in there. Right now, he's just doing the backstroke, and Sarah says, I don't care. I just want him to come. Hallelujah. Glory to God. <laughs> <laughs> or maybe it's the breaststroke <laughs> when they're kicking like that. Praise the Lord. Amen. Amen. Call him Andrew Arthur. Amen. I just call him double A. <laughs> so say it with me. If I need to, I, need to. I repent. But not, but not after I get mad. I'm just going to go straight to repentance. Amen. Do not stop but go. Do not collect $200. Amen. <laughs> do not get mad. Number one, substances. Particularly mind-altering substances. I had an alcoholic grandfather and the other side of the family, they, they're pretty good drinkers too. And I can tell you this, that... Uh, Alcohol actually predisposes you to the processes of demonization. I notice I already said just because you, you sip a drink doesn't mean you're automatically going to be demonized, but the likelihood of that practice increases, demonization likelihood increases as you actually imbibe. You say, why is that? Because they're mind-altering. And the focus of demonization, hear me well, the focus of demonization is an attack, an assignment, an opposition, or here, Attempt to occupy in terms of the mind, the will, and the emotions. So what you're doing is you're actually giving aid and abetting the enemy. See, most people just want to close line issues like this. I like to explain why I feel the way I do. I went to a graduation party. Everybody say hallelujah. 19... It was in the 80s. And this was at the chief of police's house in such and such city. I won't say the city to protect the guilty. 
his daughter was in our class. And it was a, it was a kegger and they had a pool. And uh, I, was been, I was born again spirit-filled three days. By now I'm a spiritual giant. <laughs> and I remember when I got there, somebody took one of those red, you know, party cups. You know what I'm talking about. Yeah, some of y'all know it, know about them because the last week you had one in your hand. No, I'm just kidding you. <laughs> last week, brother, that was last night. If you're going to tell the story, tell it right. And I remember them handing me that cup, and I'm just watching. Now, how many you know when you're born again, spirit-filled, your eyes become open? You're open to whatever is going on, the realities out there you've never been before. And I just saw things I'd never seen before. I saw a friend of mine, he just took some cocaine, and he was drinking a lot, and he jumped into their pool, and he didn't come up. And I'm like, uh, is somebody going to go down there and get him? And they did, thank God. They brought him up. Thank God for the Lord's mercy. Today he's born again, spirit-filled, and a member of a church in Heron, Illinois. Amen. Serving God. It just goes to show you, we can be very stupid people, and God can still do something with us. But I sat there like that. They put that cup in my hand. And I remember, now, how many know in Illinois, drinking age was not 17 or 18? Okay, we'll just leave that right there. <laughs> and they put that, hand, that cup in my hand like that. And I remember as it just slipped through my hand and dropped to the ground, and it's got my 67 cherry red 351 cleave of the Mustang. Yeah, I'm not going to be the, uh, you know, a quick adopter to an, to an e-vehicle. Because I like my cars to speak in tongues when I turn them on. And some of y'all have them. Your car sounds like. It's just not the same. But, you know, everybody enjoys something different. And I realized what that was all about. Because, I mean, the Holy Ghost will talk to you if you let him talk to you. If you'll just be quiet enough and just be open enough, say, I really want to know the truth. And he just simply told me, you know, you can partake of that. And he said these stinging words like that. I can still hear them yesterday. You will never be anointed, though. So he didn't frame it as a heaven and hell issue for me. He framed it as being a mediocre versus anointed issue for me. You understand what I'm saying to you? So substances that uh, cause altered states of reality, from alcohol to drugs, to eating too much. I see, that's why I said, y'all don't get mad. You just go straight to repentance. Because right now in America, let's just put it this way, we are the most robust society we've ever been. And part of it is the, the manufacturing process and the things. And I'm, I'm like you, these, the whole world of, of diets and what you can eat and can't eat, it's just confusing. Y'all need to hear from the Holy Ghost. Right. Look at somebody and say, you need to hear from the Holy Ghost about your body. Sugar bad, sugar good, salt good, salt bad. Artificial sweetener, good. Artificial sweetener, bad. Chicken good, chicken bad. Fish good, fish bad. Beef good, beef bad. No, beef good. Very good. <laughs> oh, Jesus. <laughs> it makes the head hurt just to think about all this stuff. <laughs> can, a, can a believer hear from the Holy Ghost about the body that the Creator happened to make? Yes. Yeah, he can. But what you don't realize is when you, when you stuff your face to excess, you're actually going to go into an altered frame of mind. A big chunk of the blood, for example, is going to rush to your digestive system just to handle all of that. And it actually causes an altered mental state. So in the church, we like to say, don't you do them drugs. Don't you do that alcohol. And we should say, don't you do that stuff in your face. And a whole lot of other things that you could expose yourself to that predispose you to demonization. So a Christian that chooses to do certain things and they wonder, why am I thinking this way, acting this way, talking this way? It's because you're coming under the influence of somebody who's not at all for you or for God. And you can be free from it in Jesus' name. Does that make sense? 
You can walk a, a life of purity, not you know, partaking of things that actually alter your consciousness or alter your mental state, but be what God wants you to be. Proverbs 23, 29, who has woe, who has sorrow, who has strife, who has complaining, who has wounds without cause, who has redness of eyes, those who tarry long over wine, those who go to try mixed wine. Do not look at wine when it's red, when it sparkles in the cup and goes down smoothly. In the end, it uh, bites like a serpent and stings like an adder. That sounds like a lot of fun. Now, as it starts out looking one way, but there's a bite to it on the back end. Amen. Proverbs 31.4. It's not for kings, Lemuel. You know how many kings we have in here? How many kings do we have? Kings and priests do we have in here? This is where, you know, teachable moment comes in to say to you that you can either see yourself as just a pew or seat hugging Christian one day going to heaven. Or you can see yourself for how God sees you. A king and a priest. Say it, I'm a king and a priest. Come on, get it deep in your heart. I'm a king and I'm a priest of the Most High God. We are what? A fellowship of kings and priests. Glory to God. It's not for kings, Lemuel. It's not for kings to drink wine, nor for rulers to crave beer, lest they drink and forget what has been decreed and deprive all the oppressed of their rights. Listen to how the message says this. Leaders can't afford to make fools of themselves gulping wine and swelling beer, lest hung over they don't know right from wrong, and the people who depend on them are hurt. Amen. Uh, this is in the category of living your ultimate best life before God. It's not about closed-line religion. Does that make sense? Because to be perfectly frank with you, um, one of my mom and dad's best friends in Phoenix, uh, Joe was a state trooper for the state of Missouri. This is a man that could put down more beer. I mean, he'd come by the house, you know, at, what, 10, 10, 30, isn't it time for beer? <laughs> I mean, it's beer 30 somewhere, he would always say. And the nicest guy you ever met. I mean, his dad was a Nazarene, I think, church planter. But here's the point. This guy would, would imbibe severely. The first time I went out there and played golf with him and with dad and a, and a couple other guys, we got done with the course, and he, he opened up his cooler. He said, Art, he said, how about a cold one? He goes, no. I said, no, I'm trying to cut back. And my dad said, yeah, he cut back all right. And so Joe says, yeah, me too, yeah, me too. But here's a guy who would literally give you the shirt off his back. My dad said he never had a friend like that, ever. A lot of Christians don't drink, but they act like fools in other ways. Amen? Hello? I'm preaching better than you're snarling at me right now. But how about being godly and kind and loving and gracious and neighborly without subjecting yourself to mind-altering substances that can potentially open you up to demonization? Some of you, I think, if you listen today, you let the Lord do something in your life, you're going to walk free from this thing, and you're going to begin to have clarity in your life like you never have before. See, this stuff will take away your vision. It'll take away your sense of purpose. It'll take away your peace. These things that demonize you, there's all the high price to pay in terms of how you function. And one day you wake up, okay, this stuff is free from you. And now you're really, you're really hitting on all cylinders the way God wants you to. Amen. That, uh, that season of my life, I, I gave up that. Why? Uh, it's not because 50 people beat me over the head. It's because I desired a different wine. Yes. And I desired that I would be anointed and used of God. Yes. Amen. And not just slumming it through until one day I get to heaven. Are you here today? There are lots of these things that you can partake of, substances that will alter your thinking. Uh, opioids right now in our country, a crisis. Uh, fentanyl is a huge crisis, but I'll tell you what the problem with fentanyl is. You're going to die if you take it. Yes. 
It's not going to be some habit you form on fentanyl. You're going to die. It just takes a little grain of salt of fentanyl and you're gone. And it's being laced in all kinds of drugs right now. So don't think that you're going to skirt this issue. Uh, you know, I could be doing your funeral from just a very small amount of this if somebody slipped to you. Be careful out there what you're doing with your body. Amen. Your body's the temple of the Holy Ghost. Amen. Come on, say, my body, my body is the temple of the Holy Ghost. And don't you dare say it's my body. No, it's not. The Lord purchased it. It's his body. You treat it with holiness and honor the way God designed it to be. Amen? That's what his word says. These are all very good reasons to deal with this. But my heart goes back to watching people live far less than their privileges, way below what God called them to be because they're partaking of stuff like this. Just not worth it. Amen. Glory to God. Hallelujah. The second one is strife, which you've never heard about. Ever in this church. <laughs> but I want to I want to frame it this way. Strife is a fast track into demonization. Avoid it like the plague. You get mad and upset and full of bitterness and rage. One day, a few days later, you'll be under his influence and you won't even know what happened because of what somebody else did or said about you. Why should you be demonized because of what somebody else said or did about you? Paul said again, the Lord's servant must not be in strife. Say it with me. He must not be in strife. So he can escape the trap of the devil who's taken and captive to do his will Strife intoxicates like nothing I know of. People become completely irrational. Will destroy everything God has tried to build in their life because that demonization comes in and now they, they can't make a, a right decision. They're so focused on what was done. I've seen people with great calls on their life. It was completely compromised because somebody offended them. And it wasn't the person that offended them that's now paying for it. They're paying for it because they become demonized. Right. Turn to somebody and say, it's just not worth it. <laughs> that's why the Bible tells us that faith works by love. That's why the Bible tells us having been forgiven, we should be what? We should be forgiving. We should be humble. We should be tenderhearted towards one another. Everybody in here has received a Judas kiss. Raise your hand if you have ever received a Judas kiss. You've been betrayed. Now raise your other hand if you've given one. Oh, no, not me, Brother Art. I am kissless. I did not do that. No. So the fact that you have, in fact, maybe hurt others as you have been hurt, it seems to me the grace and mercy and love is the only way to go. Every good thing God wants to do in your life hangs on the commands. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, your strength. And the second is like unto itself. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the prophets, amen, all the promises, everything hangs on that series of, those series of commands. Those two, love. Now I'm just telling you this. I don't want you to, to test me on this. I'm going to go out and get offended and see if the pastor is right about this. Just this is one time I'm asking you to take the word for the word's sake and stay out of strife because it will take you a lot further down the road than ever before. I, I have a mystery. You know, I think, uh, you know, or the rest, I, I really don't understand people like Brother Copeland who've been able to handle all the bombs launched at them and still stay so humble and loving and kind. It's a marvel to me. The pot shots that are taken, the absolute mischaracterizations of who people are, the lies that are said, and to still continue just to love people. I think it was Queen Elizabeth said, we don't, what, we don't, we never complain and we never explain. Lived her life not being a complainer and not trying to explain everything and defend herself all the time. What a wonderful way to live. Look at somebody and say, never complain. Never explain. Trying to justify everything to other people. You know, you live in peace. There are going to be people that love to take offense. In our nation right now, everybody getting offended over everything. Amen. I noticed you mentioned apples, but why didn't you mention oranges? Are you an orange racist? If you say two sentences on Facebook, would you leave something out? 
Here comes the demonic horde to let you have it. I mean, we are just ripe in this nation for all kinds of division and all kinds of offense. But you know what? That's not really your nation. Your nation is the kingdom of God. And our standards are higher than what we see today. Amen. Look at somebody say, stay out of strife. Say it again. Say, stay out of strife. Forgive. Let go of the bitterness. Let go of the unforgiveness. You don't know what they did. Do you know what? Somebody out there is saying the same thing about you. You don't know what they did. Sounds like a fun way to live. Or we could just walk in forgiveness and keep the devil out. Amen. Amen. You want to shut the door on the devil? Forgive. Amen. And forgive quickly. And forgive again. And forgive again. Well, I've forgiven them 450 times. How long do I have to keep doing this? 451, 452, 70 times 7. Well, when I get to 70 times 7 plus 1, that's it. No, you're missing the principle. In perpetuity. How much does God forgive you? Come on, say it. Stay out of strife. You will do a lot to protect yourself from demonization if you'll be quick to forgive. It's a given. You're going to be hurt. You're going to be misunderstood. They're going to talk ugly about you. They're not going to understand you. And can I give you a tip here? How many of you like the move of God? Raise your hand if you like the move of God. You like the presence of God. You like the word of God. The further you go down this road, the more people are going to be disgusted with you. You just stay in your little church and have your little church party, amen. Have your little song service and your, your little homily, your little message and your lights and your smoke machine and have your little party. You stay there. But I tell you what, you go out here starting to carry the presence and power of God, you are not going to have some kind of popularity contest go your way. Anointed people aren't liked by religion or the world. Well, wait a minute. That leaves out a lot of people. And a lot of Christians won't like you either. But who who are you trying to please? I said, who are you trying to please? The Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Anybody here have frequent opportunities to get offended? Just a couple of you? Amen. Oh, Pastor, I'm immune. Number three is sorrow or grief. And specifically, the spirit of grief. Hallelujah. Uh, recently on social media, somebody mischaracterized what I teach on grief. So I want to be plain as I can possibly be. Amen? So that you won't be a dingbat like that and say something that's not true. Are you here today? Amen. Hey, Pastor, why don't you just be blunt today? Okay, I will. <laughs> If you've been here, you have never heard me say that Christians shouldn't grieve. You've never heard that. What you have heard is we shouldn't grieve like the world, who have no hope, who have no destiny in Christ or future beyond the grave. We grieve differently, which means we go through a process of grief without being snagged by a spirit of grief. To say that we go grieve or shouldn't grieve is like I hit my hand, you know, hand, you know, with a hammer, hit my thumb with a hammer, and that hurts. And so what I'll do is I'll hit the other one because we're not supposed to hurt. If you hit your hand you know, with a hammer, it's going to what? It's going to hurt. If you lose something, it's going to hurt. But if you're not careful, you allow the enemy to come in there and a spirit of grief will descend upon you. You will get stuck in the process and you'll live your life the rest of your days surrounded by that moment and unable to get out of that cocoon of grief. And the devil will just keep taking from you and taking from you and taking from you. I've seen this happen many, many times. Um, Why people don't, you know, don't catch things, I don't know. You know, Kelly and I were talking about this, that today... There are all kinds of filters in this room. There's a filter of what time is lunch. There's a filter of I knew I shouldn't have come to this particular service today. 
There's the filter of how many bottles do we have at home, hon? <laughs> and people hear, and sometimes they don't hear. And I've found out that some people are just pathological liars. That's just, that's just how they live. But you're going to find anybody that knows the word to tell you that, I'm sorry, somebody just slammed your hand in the car door, but you shouldn't have any pain. You had your heart slammed, amen, by life. When you lost somebody, yes, there's pain associated with that. We've experienced as a family more than, than we've ever really known the past year with the passion of my dad. But there's a difference when you sense that thing trying to come on you, you resist that and say, in Jesus' name, you're not coming on me. And you celebrate what the word tells us, that there's a reunion coming, amen? That there is purpose and meaning to your life without the person that is gone. You were born not with them attached to your hip. You were born one at a time, unless you're a twin. Happy you. There's two of you. This world couldn't take two of her. There's no one. Dad says, hey, hey, they broke the mold when they made your mother. I said, no, they didn't. He goes, what do you mean? They didn't use a mold. <laughs> no. Did not use a mold. Just a little pinch of this and a little pinch of that and a little pinch of this and a little pinch of that. She's one of a kind. Amen. <laughs> but when you think about, you know, your life and think about uh, what really matters. There are a lot of Christians when somebody leaves, whether it's a spouse, a child, a parent, grandparent, they just stop functioning as if their life never mattered in the first place. Well, I remind you that God made you. God caused you to be born. He gave you the new birth. And He has a purpose and a plan for your life and it shouldn't be wasted in a spirit of grief. That, my friends, is what we teach about the spirit of grief and grief. You will grieve. You will try to deny and pretend it didn't happen. You will try to bargain. You will have bits of anger. It's different for different people. The timeline's different for different people. But at the end, 40 years goes by, you are still trapped. Whoever counseled you on grief did not do you a favor. Wasting decades in the spirit of grief. And there are all kinds of things you can lose in life, not just people to death. Are you here today? Brothers and sisters, we do not want you to be uninformed about those who sleep in death so that you do not grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope. Now here's my point. That kind of grief is an open door to demonization. To come under... His influence, deception, and direction. And whatever it is, don't let it happen to you. Amen? You've got memories. Amen? If they're believers, you know there's going to be a reunion. There's that coming update. It's coming soon, isn't it, church? That's what you think about. And you live the rest of your days doing everything you can, amen, to get other people in the kingdom of God. Not sidelined by a spirit of grief, being demonized by that thing. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Tim, that's good preaching. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Glory to God. <laughs> Number four. Spiritism. I use this as a broad category for anything that involves flirting with supernatural forces outside of the person of the Holy Spirit. Pretty broad, isn't it? But then again, the problem is broad. Jesus said uh, through his word in Deuteronomy chapter 18, don't you love the word today? Yes. Chapter 18, verse 9, when you come into the land that the Lord your God is giving you, you shall not learn to follow the abominable practices of those nations. There shall not be found among you anyone, say anyone, who burns his son or his daughter as an offering. We do it in this nation with sailing. That's true. Every day they're offered to Molech, and we're supposed to close our eyes and say nothing. 
Well, I'm not going to close my eyes and say when we are sacrificing children in this nation, just like they did in the Bible days. And the Bible says we shouldn't have any part of it. Anyone who practices divination or tells fortunes or interprets omens, a sorcerer, a charmer, or a medium, or a necromancer, or one who inquires of the dead, whoever does these things is an abomination to the Lord. And because of these abominations, the Lord your God is driving them out before you. This includes the occult, Satanism, witchcraft, wiccans, Ouija boards, tarot cards, horoscope, exposing your eyes, your ears to minds, to things that are of a different supernatural force and base and foundation. And in fact, some of you did these things before you came to Christ, but you made one mistake. You never renounced and denounced those things in your life. Come on, say it boldly. I denounce, I denounce all forms all of spiritism I ever participated in Jesus' name. Say it. I renounce all association with the demons behind it. In Jesus' name. You think it's not real? It's real. Kids play with this stuff and they get spooked to find out it's real. You love somebody so much that you want to somehow connect with them on the other side? I tell you what, just trust God with that person. You walk in with God because oftentimes you're not dealing with that person anyway. God can do anything he wants. He proved that with Samuel. But more often than not, what happens is people are entertaining and fellowshipping with demon spirits and they wonder why they're under such control and such influence of the evil one. Amen? Culture is fascinating with death, with the occult. Some of the most uh, you know, successful television shows right now are about what? Zombies. Death. They make a movie in a series called The Good Witch. Well, that's a complete contradiction in terms. Yep. Designed to let people think that somehow this is benevolent and a good thing to be a part of. No, they did it years ago with Casper. Casper and the Friendly Ghost. Oh, man, now, Pastor, you've gone and meddled with Casper. No, Wilma did. She brought up Casper. I just want you to realize that. <laughs> She, she really has a problem with Casper. Y'all should know that. So, No such thing as a friendly ghost unless you're talking about the Holy Ghost. Do you really want to have a friend that's a ghost? Make sure it's the Holy Ghost. I've seen a, a full range of this stuff. And um, again, what happens is somebody becomes demonized to this. They don't even know what's going on. And they don't think because our, our society is so pervasive with, with the occult and with darkness that they just think, well, this is just normal. So be aware of what's going on. Amen. Be aware of what you're looking at and what you're listening to and, and who you're hanging around with and what you sanction is okay. They're not okay. The Lord calls it an abomination. This is the sole reason God told the children of Israel to drive out the nations before them. So you would not mix right worship with spiritism. You would not connect the two because there is a, like oil and water. They don't go together. Amen. <coughs> Praise the Lord. So what we're going to do now is we're sending a, uh, an advanced spiritual team into your house to find all kinds of contraband today after church. We'll give you about 20 minutes to get home. If you go out for lunch, it's not my fault. So... Say it with me. Substances. Substances. Strife. Strife. Sorrow. Sorrow. Spiritism. Spiritism. We've talked about in the context of these messages the need for discernment. Discern is spirits. Where does the manifestation and utterance come from? And general discernment through the Word of God. Just pay attention to the Holy Ghost on the inside of you. And when something's causing you to feel uneasy, back away from it. Don't participate. Walk away. Tell whoever's involved in it, I'm sorry, but I can't be. And it's everything from movies to television to radio. I mean, I just went and get some gas at, at, uh, at Huck's the other day. I like tapping in Kelly's phone number and getting 10 cents off a gallon. It's fun. Watching that price drop. I'm just filling the car up. And all of a sudden, this car comes by down the next lane over. And, of course, it's so loud, you know, that uh, literally the dead can hear it. And, I mean, every other word coming out of that car 
was F this and F that and G and I'm thinking, that's, that's great music. And just sitting there for maybe 30, 45 seconds because I was about done and I couldn't finish fast enough. Now, uh, if I didn't have somewhere I needed to be, I would have had a conversation with the person in the window. Um, but just for that short amount of time, the grieving of my spirit. That somebody thinks that this was good to publish and produce and put out there in media and listen to. When I was a freshman at Murray State a few years ago, <laughs> um, I came up from College of Charleston and transferred into Murray State. And I had um, a roommate from Missouri who was actually a pusher. No disrespect, Ruth. You just happened to be from southeast Missouri, south of St. Louis, way south of St. Louis. <laughs> and uh, I noticed that uh, his room was just decked out and all this pornography. And then when someone knocked on his door, he grabbed this paper bag and go out with them. And this happened lots of times. I mean, basketball players, football players, students coming by. And I'm thinking to myself, I probably need to figure out what's in that bag, because if it's something bad, we can both go down for it. Um, and I look in that bag, and I mean, every kind of drug you could find was in that bag. So then I started praying, Lord, get me out of here. <laughs> Deliver me. Yeah. That's when I first went into living with a college house and got involved with the college ministry and leadership. The Lord answered that prayer. And uh, you literally had to walk through just walls of this stuff. And so I went to the Christian bookstore and got me a bunch of posters. And I put them all up on mine. Well, and then uh, when I would leave, I would leave the tape player going to my favorite Christian music. And whenever I came back, I noticed it was always off. <laughs> so we had the porn here and the Christian stuff over here. And I used to tell people, if you're going to come visit my room, you're going to have to go through hell to get to me over here in heaven. That's how bad it was. <laughs> And so, you know, mom and dad were gracious and they helped, you know, load me up and pack everything up and bring everything in the room. And I, of course, I don't know, she couldn't possibly not see everything that was on his side of the room. <sighs> and mom being mom, she looked at me and she goes, well, thank God he's not gay. Yeah. That was it. She said that. Oh, she said that. Oh, oh, that's not politically correct. She never has been, never will be. So get over it. The point is, I was trying to dominate the atmosphere that he was trying to dominate. Amen. That leads me into the last of these, and it's very critical that you hear this with, with open ears and not some filter. It's, it's what I call sensuality. And our culture is sensuality-soaked, pleasure-seeking, hedonistic. If it feels good, do it. We took what they were doing in the 60s and we multiplied it by 10,000 in today's world. It's sexuality expressed outside of marriage. Say that with me. Sexuality expressed outside of marriage. Matthew 5.28, but I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Jude 1.7, just as Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding cities which likeness indulged in uh, sexual immorality and pursued unnatural desire serve as an example by undergoing a punishment of eternal fire. But then uh, Hebrews 13.4 tells us that marriage is honorable. Amen. Say it, marriage is honorable, marriage is honorable. in all. And the bed undefiled. But whoremongers and adulterers, God will judge. Now, there's the parameter right there. Godly marriage, one man, one woman. That's it. Um, it doesn't matter what society says. doesn't matter what the politicians say. doesn't matter what the liberal churches say. In this past week, the uh, German lay board decided that the German bishops were wrong and voted to accept homosexual marriage and homosexual ordainment in that particular organization. And of course, uh, uh, a lot of the Catholics, of course, aren't happy about that, but that's exactly the kind of thing that's happening across the country. 
It doesn't matter if everybody agrees with error. The Bible stands true all by itself. It needs no vote. It needs no approval from man. It is the truth. It is the way. Amen. It is the life. So in other words, to help you understand this, say we one man, one woman in marriage. It's very simple. When you get married, you go on a honeymoon. That's where you moon your honey. That's what, that's legal. But when you start mooning somebody else's honey, you're out of bounds. And adultery is not just physical. It's a culmination act, but that's not where the thing begins in the first place. There is, of course, mental adultery, where in the mind, the fantasization of things, you're not with your spouse. Listen to me carefully. That's adultery. Sick them, Brother Art. You tell those men how the cow ate the corn, bless God. Are you kidding me? The statistics on women being indulgent in these kinds of things, it's, out, it's off the charts right now. It's not a man or female thing. It's a human thing. Jesus made it plain. Now, I don't say because you've done that, now you should go out and consummate it. That's what you call dumb and dumber. <laughs> Number two is visual adultery. You are looking at somebody that's not your spouse. That is a form of adultery. Let me help you out here. As long as we just call it porn, and yeah, thousands of people have a problem with porn, people in the church, and even church leaders have a problem with porn, porn, porn. If we just do that, then it's there like the elephant in the room. But if you look at a brother or sister and say, by viewing that, you committed adultery. Pastor Art, I think there ought to be more amens than this in this here Holy Ghost church. You know what? I think you're right about that. There ought to be more amens than this. So I think you should preach it again. I think I will preach it again. I mean, no, no one wants to hear that. But guess what? They need to hear that. If you're a lady looking at some of the man's booty and other parts, that's adultery. Guys, if you're doing that, that is adultery. <laughs> Some of you are thinking, can we just go straight to the altar service and just do that? I'm feeling kind of uncomfortable right now, and I got a feeling this is not going to get better. It's going to get worse. So say it with me. Thinking it is adultery. Looking at it, Looking at it is, is adultery. God gave you somebody to look at if you're married. Well, Pastor, I'm not married. Suffer. <laughs> so it doesn't count because I'm not married. How so can be adultery? It's a form of adultery because the person you're looking at is surely either married to somebody else or will be. That's the standard. Emotional adultery. Formulation of soul ties by engaging in intimate conversation with someone that is not your spouse in the name of we're just friends. Know your formative soul tie. That conversation that you're having with that person you ought to be having with your spouse. The things you're sharing you should be sharing with your spouse. And can I help you out here? When somebody is engaging in emotional adultery, that's what that is. You should, you should have a very close friend if you're a guy and you're married, it should be your wife. And you should have a very good friend, amen? If you're married and you're a lady, it should be your husband. And today's technology has enabled people to commit emotional adultery like never before. Amen. Thinking about you today. Amen. LOL. Can't wait to see you. Shaking my head. I'm shaking my head all right. 
And you'd be amazed long before it ever gets physical. The soul tie was connected. The bondage was there. Listen carefully. You committed emotional adultery hundreds of times before you ever did physical. If we can cut this off, amen, at the mental and the visual and the emotional, it will never get to the physical. So why do I bring this up? Because you are not going to participate in fantasization, pornography, emotional adultery, and somehow or in the physical act and somehow not be demonized in the process. In fact, to engage in sexuality outside of marriage is in fact to fellowship with the demonic. And I've seen more than one person absolutely lose their mind doing things like this and wonder what happened in that situation. No, we, uh, we need to know about the open doors and we need to know how to close them, don't we, church? Yes. And I know I've kept you a little longer than normal, but I'm not done yet. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Some of you are thinking, I'm done. <laughs> I'm well done, thank you. <laughs> Turn me over, stick a fork in me, I'm done. You know, the joy of the Lord is still your strength. Yes. No one need to come under condemnation. We should come under repentance. Amen. You want to close the door on demonization in your life? You need to detox regularly. Amen. Say it with me. Detox, detox. regularly. Detox. How do you do that? Number one, with the presence of God yes. in repentance. Yep. Do what the psalmist said Psalm 51 and 32. Uh, you know, I said, I will confess my transgressions unto the Lord. You confess these things. Confess that mental adultery, that visual adultery. You know, confess that emotional adultery. Confess anything physical that you've done outside of the bounds of marriage. Ask God's forgiveness. And walk around detoxed all the time. Not a candidate for demonization. Number two, detox through the Word of God. Renew your mind, Romans 12 says. Not be transformed by and pressured by this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind through the Word of God. Now you're able to test and prove what God's will is, His good, pleasing, and perfect will. You know, the world is trying to squeeze you into its mold, Philip said. Number three, the church of God. You've heard me say, forsake not. Raise your hand if you've ever heard us say, forsake not the assembly of yourselves together. The scripture every pastor pulls out to get people to come to church. Well, let me know if it ever works. No, that's not the point. I want to go back to 1 Peter chapter 5 and then read you the second verse. It's connected to that in verse 9 with 8. Listen carefully. Be sober. Be vigilant because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Whom resist steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same afflictions are accompanying your brethren that are in the world. Listen carefully. Be sober, watchful, and mentally calm. Be vigilant, alert, and awake. Because your adversary, the opponent in the lawsuit, the devil, the accuser, the slander, walks about like a roaring lion, the howl of a wild beast in fierce hunger, seeking whom he may devour or swallow up. Whom resist or withstand... Just like James 4, 7, resist the devil, steadfast in faith, firm, strong, sure. And here's how you do it. This, this Greek indicates literally that you're like a Greek phalanx where you have soldiers in front of you packed in tightly with their shields out and the second row is packed in tightly and the third row is packed in tightly and they're all together. When the arrows start flying, they're less likely any of them to be injured by those arrows because they are together. You're not steadfast unless you're together. Being a part of a local church where the word is preached and the Holy Ghost is honored is a protective covering for you from being demonized. It's not just come to church and be counted. That's the way it is for a lot of new paradigm churches. All they care about are the statistics. We want you to be more than conquerors in Jesus' name. And you can't be out there on your own. You need to be part of a phalanx. Yes. 
Or you have people on your right and the left and in front of you and behind you to help take the shots and help protect you. It is the banana that's removed from the bunch that gets peeled. And I see Christian after Christian getting removed from the bunch and then being shocked when they get peeled. No. Steadfast means to be part of that phalanx. Aren't you glad you can be part of that phalanx? Amen. Glory to God. Steadfast in the faith, firm, strong, and sure, like a solid phalanx of soldiers, very tight and very deep. Come on, say it very tight and very deep. Who determines how tight and deep you are with your church? You do. It's all on you personally. Knowing that the same afflictions are accompanied in your brethren that are in the world. Say it with me. I am detoxing regularly with the presence of God, with the Word of God, and with the church of God. Amen. I know what some of you are thinking. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. I think he's done. No, but the devil's not done. Amen. So we need to actually apply what we've heard. So stand to your feet and give the Lord a, a holy hand clap and bless him today and just thank him. We honor you, Lord.